the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. You know, it's interesting, for a lot of us, particularly the baby boomers, we grew up in a generation where truth was constantly being challenged. Remember the old bumper stickers that said question authority, and there was always a debate over what exactly is the truth. Fast forward a generation, and we begin to realize that for many young people today, it's not even a question of knowing the truth. It's a question of, is there truth? Or can there be multiple truths that exist at the same time? In other words, can there be truth for you that's not truth for me, but truth for somebody else? And we all basically hold on to varying truths. Well, certainly, if we look at Scripture, we realize that truth is not something that's up for gamble. It isn't something that can be debated or uh, exchanged, like exchanging lockets and trinkets. But in fact, there is one core solid truth that is true yesterday, today, and forever. It is knowing that truth that sets man free. It is experiencing the source of that truth about life and who we are that indeed can be life-changing. Joining me today is the senior pastor of Kindred Community Church in Anaheim Hills. He is the speaker on the daily radio program, Know the Truth. We're pleased to have join us Pastor Philip DeCourcy. Pastor DeCourcy, great to have you on the show. Craig, uh, great to join you. We appreciate the partnership there with KFAX in San Francisco. And I want to talk a bit first. We know that you're going to be coming to the Bay Area uh, for our 25th annual Pastors Appreciation Luncheon for pastors. That'll be next Thursday at the Marriott Hotel in Fremont at 11 a.m. And there's still time to register to join us by going to kfax.com. That's kfax.com. But I want to spend a moment talking about your viewpoint, um, the name of the program, what you share from the pulpit. Every day, you had interesting experiences as a young man growing up in Northern Ireland, where literally played out on the streets. Oftentimes, were battles over different opinions regarding the truth. Yeah, I mean, um, Paul talks about Christians being living letters, and so we've we've all got our own story regarding uh, Christ and uh, Him intersecting our lives. Um, I did grow up in Northern Ireland, Craig, during the height of the Troubles. And, uh, you know, grew up in a Christian home. And so I, 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 I knew the truth. The Word of God had been, you know, deposited in my life. And, and, and even in the midst of the troubles, and I find myself in various situations during the conflict, um, fights and, and, and social upheaval, 
that the Word of God continued to speak into my life in the most unusual circumstances. I remember clearly in the middle of a full-blown riot, bottles, bricks, fights going on, that, you know, the Word of God convicting me. I remember in the middle of that, I shouldn't be here, I shouldn't be doing this. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, knew the truth, rejected the truth, ran from the truth, whatever way you want to say it. But, you know, uh, the truth is always there. The reality of Jesus Christ was always real to me. And in God's grace, he didn't let me go and drew me to faith in his son at the age of 16. And uh, I look back in those experiences, I think they helped me. Uh, to preach God's word with with power and practicality and and uh, but yeah I mean the truth is there in the midst of the confusion and the conflicts that mark life I find that uh, the truth of Jesus Christ is true uh, that's the reality of Christianity just as you said in your introduction we're living in a bizarre day when our culture embraces the idea of contradictory truth um, but the thing that marks Christianity is that uh, this testimony that truth came by Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the truth. One, you know, stop shopping regarding truth, reality, significance, making a sense of this world. And that's what drives us at the ministry. That's why I picked Know the Truth to be the title of the ministry, joining at 32. I think in these days we, we need to preach and practice the truth of Jesus Christ, and uh, we're seeing that reality impact lives. Is there a bigger challenge, Pastor DeCourcy, on this generation when it comes to sharing the truth, disseminating the truth? And I ask that question because, I, as I suggested in my opening remarks, you know, it wasn't that many generations ago when you could proclaim, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten yep. Son, and in doing so, challenge people with that truth so they could then ponder their relationship to that God. And then later on it became, well, so God, because God so loved the world, we don't know whether or not it was an only begotten Son. And then later on it became, so God so loved, and eventually just got down to, so God, meaning people even challenging the very presence or existence of God himself. In my mind, making this business, this matter of sharing our faith, of engaging in discipleship and encouraging others to discover Christ more and more challenging. Yeah, I mean, here's, why, here's how I'd answer that, um, Craig. Um, yes and no. There's, 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 there's no in the sense, right, Ecclesiastes 3, nothing new under the sun. Uh, you know, read, read history, to read the biblical record. Romans 1 tells us, since the fall of man into sin, he's been suppressing the truth. We, we read, we see uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 17, when Paul gets to that great city, there's a plethora of deities, there's a multitude of philosophies, and he comes to declare the truth of Jesus Christ. He, he bounces off the idea of the statue to the unknown God. They're, they're not sure they have covered all their bases. So, in one sense, no. You know, what we're dealing with today, with, with, with uh, you know, this, this lack of conviction that there's a meta-narrative, that there's truth, that there's an anchor point for life. <laughs> I was reading an article the other day, several you know, Santos, or, uh, you know, or, or someone was arguing, are we in the matrix ourselves? Do we even know what real reality is? So, you know, that, that's where we're at, and there's nothing new under the sun. But to your point, yes, in that here in the United States, uh, we, we've, we've left behind the legacy uh, and the deposit 
of, of gospel truth that has been our heritage. And God in his grace has shown in favor, uh, you know, on this land. Uh, and yet, you know, um, I don't know where you can pinpoint it. Let's at least talk about the social upheaval of the 60s. We see clearly now that the chickens have come home to roost with you know, universities and higher education has been undermining the whole idea of transcendent truth. Relativism and pluralism uh, has, has, you know, gripped this generation. Parents have been bullied out of the idea of, for want of a better word, indoctrinating their kids. We're going to let our kids make up their own mind, but the foolishness of that is, if you don't influence your kids, someone else will influence your kids. So, on one hand, no, but on the other hand, yes, we are moving into a, a kind of, a, I, don't want, I think it's too far to say a post-Christian era in our country. There's still great, uh, you know, pockets of Christian witness and light, and we thank God for that. We need to multiply that. On the other hand, you know, there is a, there is a shrinking knowledge. Uh, I think one writer talked about there's no clothesline to hang John 3.16 on, to take your analogy, um, Craig, in that there was a time when you could hang uh, John 3.16 on the clothesline where people had a knowledge of God, a fear of God. Uh, that day is diminishing, um, and I think that's a challenge to the church. Number one is not to lose our nerve, because we have enjoyed so much um, uh, but we're maybe, maybe entering into an era, I hope it doesn't last long, maybe God in His grace will, you know, uh, bring about a movement that will turn things back, but we're heading into an era, maybe for a short time, hopefully, maybe longer, but Christians have been there before, and we've got to be children of light in the darkness. Paul talks about, right, holding forth the word of, of, uh, the word of life in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation. That's what we're about. And I want to come next week and encourage God's servants in, in the San Francisco and in the Bay Area to say, hey, you know, don't lose your nerve. Stay by the stuff. I'm going to preach a message called Resolve to Continue out of Second Timothy 2, verses 8 to 13, where Paul gives Timothy four reasons to continue on preaching, pastoring, evangelizing, fulfilling the ministry. And it's ironic, isn't it, how at one level there may be a great degree of frustration that many pastors share in seeing what's going on in our society and culture today, and yet at the same token, never has been such a great opportunity, so much hunger, that almost anywhere you turn, you're granted an opportunity to share the truth. Of course, to share it means you need to know the truth, to study, to show yourself approved, and that comes back to the central focus of encouraging pastors, as we will on Thursday the 11th of October, the 25th Annual Pastors Appreciation Luncheon. And, of course, our keynote speaker is going to be Pastor Philip DeCourcy. And, Pastor, we're excited to have you come up to the Bay Area, share with the pastors, and we're looking forward to your message. And I want to also remind listeners that are maybe new to the program, have lunch with you. 12.30 p.m. right here on KFAX, Monday through Friday. And if you happen to be an early riser, you can start your day off at 4.30 a.m. with Pastor DeCourcy as well. Thanks so much for your time, Pastor, and we'll look forward to seeing you on Thursday. Thank you. I can't wait. You know, it's what Dickens said, right? It's the worst of times, but it's the best of times. Let's redeem the time. Let's buy up the opportunity to preach the truth and practice it. 
Amen. Great and challenging opportunities to be sure. Pastor Philip DeCourcy, Senior Pastor, Kindred Community Church in Anaheim Hills, and speaker on the daily radio program, Know the Truth, again Monday through Friday, 4.30 a.m. for you early risers, and 12.30 p.m. each Monday through Friday, right here on KFAX. Pastor DeCourcy is going to be the keynote speaker, as I mentioned, at our 25th Annual Pastors Appreciation Luncheon that will be coming up on Thursday, the 11th of October, taking place at 11 a.m. at the Marriott Hotel in Fremont. And to make reservations for pastors, let me remind you, the clock is ticking. The deadline, in fact, will be tonight at midnight. So you've got between now and 12 midnight tonight to register. There is no cost to attend, but you do need to be pre-registered. We have to get the count in to the hotel first thing Monday morning, therefore the deadline tonight, 12 midnight. So be sure to sign up for your seats to the 25th Annual Pastors Appreciation Luncheon with Pastor Philip DeCourcy. Again, the event will be Thursday, October the 11th, 11 a.m. at the Marriott Hotel in Fremont. Reservations can be made right now, just till midnight. Then reservation closes. Tonight, midnight, go to kfax.com to reserve your seats. That's kfax.com. Get you an update on traffic. Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I had a boss years ago when I was just a young buck, a lot of years ago. <laughs> who said to me when he was going to be out of town and uh, leaving me in charge, he said, now, Craig, if something comes up, if there's some sort of an emergency or a problem or an issue that develops, I would rather you do something to address it, even if that something is wrong, than rather do nothing at all. Pretty solid advice, I think, and I've carried that with me all these years. I think that that same viewpoint perhaps might be apropos to the tens of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Christians who every year continue to struggle with the big question. Meaning, what exactly does God have in store for me? What is his plan for my life? We know that God has a plan. A lot of folks feel as if he's not been willing to share that plan. And so as a result, we kind of sit back idly, quietly, doing absolutely nothing, waiting for, I don't know, sky riding in the sky, the thunderous voice of God to awaken us one night, something of a significant sign. And I have to wonder if maybe the advice that was given to me by my boss many, many years ago might be the same advice that God might offer anyone who is struggling to try and identify their calling, what God's will is for their life, that he would rather you do something than absolutely nothing. Joining me now is Johnny Moore. He is chief of staff to Mark Burnett, Roma Downey, of course, Mark is creator of a number of um, award-winning series. You'll recognize Survivor, Amazing Rays, the Bible miniseries, the movie, The Son of God. He spent many years serving as both campus pastor and senior vice president of Liberty University. He's made a big change, and he's detailing not just his own personal experience, but helps to answer this big question of what it is that I'm supposed to do with my life. We welcome Johnny Moore to the conversation. Johnny, great to have you with us today. Thanks, Craig. Good to be with you. 
This is a this is a question I think that all of us struggle with. Certainly, as believers, sometimes we we struggle with it at multiple times and occasions in our life as the circumstances around us change. This notion of trying to ascertain what exactly is that God wants me to do with my life. I think it's encouraging to see so many Christians that want to be sensitive to the Lord's will, but frustrating that so many will waste sometimes weeks, months, years, a lifetime, never really quite feeling as if they've gotten an answer to that question. Yeah, and I think the word you just used there is the key word. They're expecting to feel like they have an answer to this question. And you know, one of the reasons why I wrote my book, What Am I Supposed to Do With My Life, is because you know, I, I think we spend way too much time feeling and not enough time doing. And you know, this question of God's will is a lot easier than we make it when we actually look at what Scripture says about it. Let's spend some time talking about this. Um, again, there's this notion, and you talk about it in the book, and we've got a couple of choices here. Uh, we can either wait until God gets us started, or we can go until he stops us. So one thing for sure I find out, certainly this has been true in my own life experience, that if I'm heading down the wrong road, the Lord will surely close a door. Yeah, you know, I, I wrote this book in part because I spent a dozen years at Liberty University with, with you know, thousands of college students that I was trying to influence and trying to lead them and teach them and get them prepared for life. In my door, in my office, as campus pastor and senior vice president of Liberty, was just rolling with students that were, that were struggling with this question. And to a student, nearly every single one would say, you know, I just wish God would show me what to do with my life. God, just show me what I'm supposed to do. And, and they were waiting on the sidelines of life for God to just send them the blinking sign from the sky, for God to fire the gun in the air and say, go. And you know, one of the points I make in my book, what am I supposed to do with my life, is that God's will is more about going until he stops you, not waiting for him to tell you to go. And, you know, and people push back on that and say, you know, well, that's not, that's not what the Bible teaches. But, but actually, it's all over the Bible. And the quintessential example is the Apostle Paul. You, know, you don't see Paul praying, asking God whether he should go to Athens or, uh, or you know, Philippi. He just goes. He goes to the places where the people were, and then occasionally God stops him along the road of life. And so I think far too many Christians are sort of waiting on the sidelines of life for God to tell them to go, and they really need to start going and expect God to not open doors as much as shut them. Is there a big practical side to all of this? And, and, and maybe you can answer this question in relationship to um, your own life experience. You, you've made a major career shift from having spent time within academia, counseling, pastoral responsibilities there on campus at Liberty, your, your service as a senior VP of Liberty University, now working in Hollywood and in, in film production with, with some remarkably talented individuals. But many might argue that these are kind of, you know, opposite ends of sort of the, uh, the um, life skills, life work continuum. I, I would wonder from your own experience, if you had an inkling 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, that God would have you where you are at today, if God had laid out this very perfect roadmap at the very beginning and saying, Johnny, at some point you will be here. Are there a lot of people for whom that would so frighten them to death that they would run in the opposite direction? Well, I'll tell you, I wouldn't have believed God if he would have told me that I would have ended up here doing what I'm doing. But, but isn't that what's interesting? I mean, God works in these strange and mysterious ways. And, you know, the, the first point I make in the book, which I think is the, the biblical principle when it comes to the will of God, is that God's will is more about who you are than where you are or what you're doing. Mm. It's more about 
who you are than where you are and what you're doing. You know, this phrase, God's will, that we use all the time, right? I mean, it's one of the most frequently used phrases in Christianity, yet it's not used as frequently in the Bible. It's only used a few times, and its primary usage in the New Testament is when Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, this is God's will, that you be sanctified. He didn't say, this is God's will, that you live in this place or that you do this thing. I, I think God's will, biblically speaking, is more about your character. It's more about who you are than where you are or what you're doing. And so, you know, I, I, and so here I am. You know, some, some people think, did Johnny leave ministry, right? Because he was a pastor, and now he's working in Hollywood and, and you know, film and television. And, and actually, it's quite, quite the contrary. I mean, you know, it, it, you know God led me to work with, with Mark Burnett and Roma Downey, and they're producing unbelievable things. I mean, this Easter Sunday on NBC, you know, a full television series called AD will be debuting, and it's the, uh, the story of the birth of the church in the book of Acts, right? And, and so, you know, somehow God was preparing me for something I didn't know, and then he just sort of interrupted me on the road of life, and he led me a direction, and he didn't stop me, and here I am. You know, you make an excellent point, I think, because so often, particularly in terms of, of the context in which we try to sort of box in God and the definition of what it means to be uh, called or to be in, actively engaged in some sort of a ministerial vocation or, or ascertaining God's will for your life, there tends to be, I think, sometimes the misperception that a call always comes with a title, that it, God is preparing me, God's will is that I be a pastor or an evangelist or a missionary. But I think as you're suggesting, Johnny, um, your role in fulfilling God's will for your life doesn't always come with a title, does it? No, it doesn't. And, you know, in fact, you know, the famous missionary in Scripture is the Apostle Paul, but he wasn't actually a missionary in the way that we think of missionaries today. He was a tent maker. You know, he didn't, he didn't live on the support of churches, you know, to, to preach the gospel and give his, give his ministry around the world. He actually had a job. He made tents as he traveled around the Roman Empire in the, in the, in the Jewish world at the time you know, preaching the gospel as he went. And so, you know, in fact, there's this, this really, really interesting moment where, you know, God's doing remarkable, remarkable things. Thousands of people are coming to Christ, and everybody wants to stop what they're doing. They want to leave their jobs, and they want to become preachers like the Apostle Paul. And what Paul says to them, he writes to the church at, at Corinth, he says, no, no, don't do that. Stay in your job, because that's where God's put you. He's put you to be a light in that place. And so, you know, I, I think we really, really get in trouble when we think that, you know, in order to honor God or to do ministry or to preach the gospel or these very spiritual things, you've got to be like a pastor or a missionary. And actually, you know, if you study why the church grew as quickly as it did in the first century, you know, one of the reasons why it grew so quickly is because there were Christians everywhere doing everything. They had totally, were every part of society. They were just living and working normal everyday lives, but they were the lights of the world, making the world a better place as they, they went along. And so I, I think this, this question of God's will gets a little, little messy when we think that if we're going to honor God, then we have to do these very ministerial things. But actually, a lot of times what God wants to, to do is not sort of leave the secular world, so to speak, but, but to be light and salt within it. That might be the call. Well, and you make an excellent point in terms of looking at the life of Paul um, or, or so many figures that we see throughout particularly New Testament Scripture, that it, it was less so about them knowing going into all of this what it was that God was going to raise them up to do, and rather more about them just going and doing. There was less focus on uh, trying to understand that, you know, Paul, I'm someday going to become the principal writer of the New Testament. No, that, <laughs> that wasn't part of the game for him at all. It was about who he was in his relationship with Christ, 
and simply moving forward. And, and maybe therein lies the key for a lot of us, understanding that God's will is, is not about what you do as much as it is about who you are. Many of those lessons inside the pages of the book we're discussing today with Johnny Moore. It's called, What Am I Supposed to Do With My Life? God's Will Demystified. We'll take a brief time out. We're going to come back to more of our conversation with Johnny tonight. And as we do so, answer the ageless question. Is this about an event or is it more about process? That is this edition of Lifeline continues. Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation tonight. Johnny Moore served as campus pastor and senior vice president of Liberty University for many years. He is now chief of staff to Mark Burnett and Roma Downey and um, has written inside the pages of his new book, What Am I Supposed to Do With My Life? Newly released, by the way, by Thomas Nelson and available at the usual suspects, including Amazon.com. In the book, we talk about this entire issue of how to demystify God's will. And toward that end, and this kind of harkens back to what you mentioned just prior to the break, Johnny, the sense that we kind of look for an understanding of God's will for our life as an event. But is it really more of a process? Absolutely. I I think this is where we get so wrong with this question. We're we're expecting God to to drop a blinking light from the sky and tell us what to do and where to go. And, And that's not what the Bible teaches is the normal course of things when it comes to the will of God. God's will is more about who you are than where you are or, or what you're doing. And, and, and by the way, we think that, you know, expecting these miracles and these supernatural things to get us going is like a very holy and righteous thing to do. You know, but when you, when you read the Bible, I mean, you, you see some pretty interesting things. I mean, like, Jesus said that a wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign. That, that's what he said. You know, and, and we think it's like really, really a holy and righteous and very spiritual thing to do, to pray and pray and pray for God to show us where to go and what to do. But see, if God just showed us where to go and what to do all the time, it wouldn't require that we live by faith. So he doesn't do that. He stays quiet, and he forces us to jump out of the nest that he's made for us. And he's always there waiting to swoop us if we need help, but he's never going to let us sit there until everything is guaranteed. How much of this is passion-driven, uh, following one's passion, something that uh, I'm sure you talked about with um, campus students there at Liberty University for, for many years. Is that an important key component? I mean, it just seems to me that no matter where you wind up and whether or not we're talking about a, a religious calling or a secular calling, if you don't have passion for what you do, you're really not going to be very effective at it. And, and I think certainly a lot of folks can easily ascertain if they, if they don't understand what God's will is for them precisely so, they can certainly sit down and articulate, maybe even on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, what they're passionate about, can't they? Yes, and God puts that in our hearts. I, you know, I believe God made us with these things in our hearts, and, and I don't think that it is, you know, biblical to think that you have to sacrifice all of these desires in order to, to be in the center of the will of God. I think it's actually quite the opposite. I think very often... God allows us to couple our passion with our experience to do great things in the world. And so sometimes it's not running from it, it's running towards it. Mm. But if you're running towards it, 
What if there's a, a fork in the road? What, what if there's a couple of uh, multiple paths that seem right or multiple arenas where you, you have uh, a multiplicity of passions? Then what? Then you pick one. You just pick one. You know, I, I think a lot of times that we, we believe that if you do one path, you're right, and one path, you're wrong. And, and by the way, I'm not talking about the moral will of God. You know, I, I'm not talking about things that the Bible clearly says are right and things the Bible clearly says are wrong. Now, that, that's a different conversation. Of course, God doesn't want you to do the things that he says are wrong in, in his word. But when it comes to these big life decisions, I think oftentimes God gives us the freedom to choose. And so while we, while we beg and plead for God to show us which fork to take in the road, you know, God's standing on the sidelines sometimes saying, you just make a decision. But, but by the way, this is why the first principle about God's will is so important, that God's will is more about who you are than where you are or what you're doing, because you, you've got to work on who first. You work on who you are as a person to make sure you're, you know, your heart's where it needs to be, that you're prepared, that, that you're someone that whatever path you're going on, you're going you're gonna to take a good path because you're going to be a good and God-honoring person. But I think we get mixed up sometimes, and we, we start thinking of these sort of decisional will of God and the way we think of the moral will of God. And God gave us freedom, not as a curse, as a gift. We look, for example, and you talk about this in the book, What Am I Supposed to Do With My Life, about Gideon and the fleece. And, and I certainly in my years as a believer, I've heard a lot of young believers who are struggling with this very topic that will ponder the idea of, well, maybe I need to lay a fleece before the Lord. Now, whether or not they actually go out and do that on the front lawn and wait to see if it's got dew on it the next morning, I don't know. But there is, I think, that some sense that they're looking for some way, some sort of 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 external sign that this is exactly where God wants them to be. But at the end of the day, isn't this more about what's going on inside of your own heart and having that, that sense of this is right, uh, that, that check in your spirit? Well, listen, I mean, we've all done this, right? I mean, I, I have. I, you know, I, prayed, I prayed that prayer. You know, I prayed for the fleece. And, you know, God, I laid out my fleece, and I'm standing, and I'm waiting for you to do your thing. But, you know, when we go back and actually read the story, you know, one of the first things you discover is God ain't too happy about Gideon's fleece. <laughs> because God's a God of grace. He tolerated Gideon's fleece laying. But, but you know, that's, that's not, it didn't make him very happy. And, and I think the same thing is true in our lives. I mean, God's patient with us. He, he, he knew what he was getting himself, in, himself into when he, he invited us into his family. But he expects more of us. He expects us not to have to lay out the fleece to trust him. He expects us to walk by faith, to go in the logical direction and expect God to be with us every step of the way. That faith is is such a key component. You discuss it at length in the book. You also touch on another topic that I think is critically germane to this discussion, which we're going to pick up on right after the break, and that is not only the importance of, of following God by faith, but also... Having that sense of dedication, uh, commitment, what we want to call it, uh, stick to that we can be consistent in what it is that we are doing and what it is that God has called us to do. And oftentimes, I think people struggle with trying to answer the question of what am I supposed to do with my life? Because even as maybe God has opened up doors and shown us the way, we've failed to recognize it because we've simply not been willing to pay the price. We've not been willing to make the commitment. 
We'll talk about that as our discussion with Johnny Moore continues. The book, What Am I Supposed to Do With My Life? God's Will Demystified, newly published by Thomas Nelson. A timeout back with more as Lifeline continues. Get you an update on traffic. Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael. Thank you, Craig. And this report is sponsored by California Bank and Trust, always in your corner. And we'll start in Corte Madera, northbound 101 at Tamil Pius Drive. The Tamil Pius uh, on-ramp to northbound 101. An injury crash involving a pedestrian and a car emergency cruiser blocking that on-ramp. Southbound 85 in Mountain View between Winchester Boulevard and Camden Avenue. Heavy stop and go there due to a three-car crash that's been cleared over to the shoulder. In Livermore, eastbound 580, just as you pass 1st Street. SUV and a motorcycle with injuries. That's on the shoulder traffic uh, stop and go from North Livermore avenue you never know what's around the next corner that's why you need a bank that's always in yours california bank and trust offers a wide selection of loans lines of credit and the guidance to choose visit calbanktrust.com that's traffic on am 1100 kfax honey in here oh you painted the ceiling yep blue feels so much less cooped up right i guess What's the yellow paint for? Well, the floor needs a double line, otherwise it's chaos. Can you hand me that yield sign? It's hard to be without your bike, so do something easy and protect it with Progressive Motorcycle Insurance. With basic policies as low as $75 a year, you'll be back on the road in no time. Visit Progressive.com to quote today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states. Sponsored by Lifeline Innovations and Insurance Services. Not affiliated with the Lifeline Radio Program. Hey, it's Greg Talbot again. By now, you've heard our commercials over and over. We give people like you outstanding investment returns without the risk of Wall Street and without using annuities. We work with one of the nation's largest law firms and put together three secured investments that we believe are safer and higher yielding than anything in your portfolio. Two of these investments are designed for growth. One is designed for income. All three have targeted returns of 8% to 12%. And when you invest with us, we never touch your money. See for yourself what all the fuss is about. If you want to significantly improve your finances, then grab your cell phone and listen to a free recorded message for more information. Call 800-516-4748. That's 800-516-4748. Call now. 800-516-4748. Hi, this is Vanessa Russell with Love Never Fails. Every Saturday at 3 p.m., we educate you on human trafficking, and we need your financial support. You can help transform and save lives for as little as $1 a month. Sign up online at loveneverfailsus.com and be one of the million ways we solve human trafficking. $1 a month can provide paid internships, thousands of rescues, and housing for survivors and their children. Be one of the million ways to fight human trafficking. Sign up today at loveneverfailsus.com. Are you still stuck on the healthcare roller coaster? Still paying those high premiums? And strapped into huge deductibles? Not knowing what's around the next turn? Well, then let me tell you about a sound, sensible healthcare choice that really is affordable. It's MediShare, the healthcare sharing solution people like you have been trusting in for more than 25 years. MediShare members report saving around $500 a month on their healthcare costs, and they never pay for things they don't believe in. Time to say goodbye to that healthcare roller coaster. 
and say hello to MediShare. Call star star 734 to find out how much you can save on your health care. MediShare. Call star star 734. Message and data rates may apply. That's star star 734. This is Hugh Hewitt for townhall.com. The national scalding of the confirmation proceedings around Judge Brett Kavanaugh has changed the election calculus for many. We already knew, Democrats told us, that if they took back the House, they'd move to impeach President Trump. Now we know, courtesy of ranking Democrat on the House Judiciary Committee, New York City's Jerry Nadler, that he intends to hold hearings going after Brett Kavanaugh if he gets the gavel. Democrats seeking revenge for 2016, still unthinkable to them, defeat of Hillary Clinton, are not hiding their agenda. Vote for a Democrat, any Democrat. You are imperiling the magnificent economic boom, the rearmament of America, and the restocking of the federal judiciary with judges who are not political actors. A vote for any Democrat for any House seat is a vote for Nancy Pelosi. It is that simple. I'm Hugh Hewitt. The Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Impacting policy decisions today. Preparing public leaders for tomorrow. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're visiting today with Johnny Moore. Johnny, by the way, is chief of staff to Mark Burnett and Roma Downey. Of course, you know Mark's work. You're familiar with uh, all the big hits, Survivor, Amazing Race, the Bible miniseries, the movie Son of God. Lots of great, amazing stuff that no doubt that you have enjoyed. Well, Johnny's written a new book called What Am I Supposed to Do With My Life? God's Will Demystified, which, by the way, you can pick up at Amazon.com um, or through you know local bookstores and so on and so forth. Uh, Johnny, let's talk about a couple of key principles. You spend a lot of time in the book talking about the issue of commitment. Tell me why. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. When I decided to write a book on God's will, I I expected to write a whole book on God's will, because this is a really, really big and important question. But as I really dug into the question, what does the Bible actually say about God's will, I I was surprised to discover it says a whole lot less than we make of it. And actually, it's not that hard of a question. It's a pretty simple question to answer. You know, God's will is more about who you are than where you are and what you're doing, and it's more about going until God stops you and stop waiting for him to tell you to go. But actually, what I was struck by was that most of us, if we knew what God's will was in the first place, we would be committed to it, because we have major, major commitment issues in this world that we're living in now. And so, so I ended up devoting the whole second half of my book on God's will to commitment, you know, why we struggle with commitment, how we need to be commitment, how commitment is actually the answer to the question, what is God's will? It's not about who you, it's not about where you are, what you're doing, it's about, you know, whoever you are, wherever you are, and whatever you're doing, being committed to it. And, you know, I, we, we referenced Paul earlier. Imagine how different his story might have turned out had after one or two rough spots along the road, which I think he would admit were legion <laughs> during his his time of ministry, if he just said, "Oh, this is too much work," and I, I don't, you know, I, I used to be on the persecuting side. I'm not, I'm not really up for this being persecuted business. So I'm just, I'm out of here. God, you can go find somebody else. Um, that that story of his life and his impact on the early church might have been quite different had he not been committed. You know, this is a a sort of under-recognized value in the society that we're living in today, and and actually it's at the very, very heart of Christianity. I mean, this, this, this attitude of being committed to Jesus Christ, whatever the circumstances, was the hallmark of Christianity. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a, you know, subsidiary issue, a tertiary issue. It wasn't something that some Christians had 
as a distinct characteristic of their lives. I mean, Christianity grew up where it was either you be committed or you're not a Christian at all, and it costs you something. And, and by the way, it doesn't cost a lot in the United States of America today, but, but in lots of countries in the world, it still costs a lot. You know, if you go to Iraq or Syria and you, you walk around and meet the Christian communities there that are under tremendous persecution, perhaps even eradication if something doesn't happen, their faith isn't something that they just do because they believe it. You know, they, they do it because it's so down deep inside of who they are. They, they just can't imagine not doing it. And, you know, and, and that's where I think, you know, our, our, our obsession with the question of God's will is sometimes a pretty selfish question. It's all about us, and it's never actually going to be what we're hoping we're going to get when we answer the question until we make it all about Jesus. And when we make it all about Jesus, it's going to require commitment. Well, it and takes us back to you. a spiritual thing. And it takes us, I think, Johnny, back to your point earlier, and that is this is not about what we do. It's about who we are, because there are going to be times where we're going to fail in what we do. I mean, imagine if you sit down with either Roma or Mark, who today many of us recognize as being incredible um, producers and, and, and actresses in the case of Roma. Um, there's got to be a backstory there of all of the failures that either everybody has forgotten or doesn't know anything about. Now, imagine after a failed project or two, if Mark had just said, well, this is not for me, this this can't be my calling because I've had a failure here on my hand, so what's next? Imagine what things might look be looked like today if he had, had taken that attitude. Well, and this is the story of human history, right? I mean, sure. all of the people in all of history that have done things of great significance you know, have, have had their ups and downs. They, you, know, you, you don't bat a thousand every time. You know, my, my, one of my favorite quotes I, I've ever read is, is from Winston Churchill, where you know, Churchill said that success in life is often nothing more than moving from one failure to the next with undiminished enthusiasm. <laughs> and, and by the way, this is a very Christian idea. I mean, it was the Bible that says that the righteous fall seven times, and they get back up. And you don't measure a man or a woman by how talented they are or how wealthy they are, but rather by what it takes to discourage someone. That's how you measure worth in this, in this world we're living in. And, and I, I think we're just sort of weak people these days. I mean, we, we've, we've forgotten that it just takes good old hard work to get to places. And sometimes we make decisions, and then by our hard work, we make those decisions good decisions, even if they might not have been the best decisions to begin with. All right, let's bring some balance to this, because there's also an issue here, I think, that underlies part of what you're saying, and that is the issue of self-honesty. For example, there's somebody that I knew many years ago who felt as if they had been called to be a vocalist, and they wanted to be a vocalist within the church. And so uh, they would volunteer any Sunday service that they wanted somebody to do a little bit of solo, would get up and sing. And, and quite frankly, most of the people in the pews cringed while this was going on, but kind of placated the individuals like, well, they love the Lord, and they're honest about all of this. And, and this individual, I think, aspirations of becoming the next Sandy Patty or something, whoever was popular at the time. But the vast majority of people around this individual knew, you know, the, the base talent that is necessary is simply not there. Is there also a time when you need to engage in that self-talk that, that allows you to see things honestly, that there might be somebody who, for example, aspires to be a radio talk show host and feels as if they've got what it takes, 
but doesn't really recognize, maybe I'm talking about myself here, (laughs) doesn't recognize they don't have the base skills necessary. And so as a result, they could be doomed for failure simply because, quite frankly, they've not had that that matter of self-honesty to say, you know, maybe this isn't for me. Yeah, I I think the easiest person to deceive is yourself, mm. right? I mean, this this is so true in so many circumstances, and yeah, and and you know, one of the, one of the points I think the Bible teaches is that God's will often just makes sense. And and by the way, when it when it doesn't make sense in the here and now, in hindsight, it almost always makes sense. You know, God's will is more often seen through the rearview mirror than the windshield. When you look backwards, you see it, but when you look forwards. Sometimes it's, it's unclear, and so you know, we we have this absolute propensity to, to deceive ourselves. And so, you know, one of the things I think we have to do you know, when we start answering these big questions about life and making these big decisions about our lives is, you know, I think we need to have a good, honest self-assessment. We we need to pray the prayer of David, which you know, God search me and show me if there's any wickedness inside of me. And and you know, along the way to find the weakness, weak, wickedness, we also find a lot of weaknesses along the way. And and you know, God God doesn't waste His miracles on on trying to make bad vocalists famous. <laughs> more often than not, He uses His miracles in ways that are that are much much more significant for His kingdom. There's another important lesson here. Maybe it's a good note to to end our conversation on. I am reminded in Scripture that God will give us the desires of our heart, but God also tells us that we should seek first His kingdom and all of his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto us. And so at the end of the day, um, if our heart is focused on him, if our ultimate desire is to walk in a rich, deep, profound relationship with him, then whatever those other ancillary desires might be, God will indeed fulfill them. But it really comes back to having that focus on not what we're doing, but who we are and in our relationship with him. Doesn't it, Johnny? It's exactly right. And, And if you focus on that, and it's amazing how your desires are suddenly what his desires are for you. And these questions get a little bit simpler. You you end up kind of being in the heart of God's will by accident. And, and because God's will is, well, it, it sort of takes care of itself if you're taking care of your relationship with the God whose will you want to follow. Some solid advice from Johnny Moore, the book called What Am I Supposed to Do With My Life? God's Will Demystified, again published by Thomas Nelson, available at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as through the usual suspects, Amazon.com, etc., etc. Johnny has a website, too. You can check him out, Johnny, J-O-H-N-N-I-E, Moore, with two O's, Moore with an E, dot O-R-G. Johnny, thanks so much for the time. Always a pleasure. Take care now. Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.